0: Welcome to University Hill, located on the campus of the University of British Columbia in beautiful Vancouver. Each week we gather on the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territory of the Musqueam people. We worship, sing, pray, and engage with Scripture as we seek to grow in faith and as followers of Jesus. We pray that this podcast of Scripture passages and sermons preached will bless your own faith journey. And of course, you're always welcome to join us on Sunday morning. Check out UHail.net for a Zoom link and more information. And now a reading from Isaiah chapter 58, verses nine to 14. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk. And if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it, by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father, Jacob. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Let's pray together. Uh, Lord, thank you for the gift of this day and for the gift of your word and the chance to gather under it. Uh, We pray that it would be for us a shelter, that you would help us to hear your word well so that we might know you better and make you better known. Uh, We pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts and minds would be acceptable in your sight. We pray in the name of Jesus, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So for the past few weeks, we've been uh, hanging out in the company of the prophet Isaiah. And Isaiah looms large in both Christian and Jewish imagination. His is the voice that's kind of perpetually calling out in the wilderness, crying out for God's people to come away from the seductions of the world around them, whatever that happens to be, whatever distracts us from God and God's ways and back into the divine relationship for which we are made. Jesus quoted the prophet Isaiah more than any other prophet. Uh, When he needed a way to explain what he's up to, he borrowed from Isaiah. And when the early church began to try to figure out what Jesus' life, death, and resurrection meant, and now his reign, as often as not, they turned to Isaiah which makes sense because all throughout the book there's this kind of uh, tension between how things are and how they will be, between the way that God's people behave in the world and how God actually wants them to live and move and have their being. At every step along the way, we're reminded that the way to which God calls God's people is at once urgent and beautiful, its intensity and its perfect freedom. It is serious joy. And Isaiah is wide-eyed about the ways of the world. He knows what a mess things can be. But the eyes of his heart, his holy imagination, is trained on the promises of the God who is determined to make all things new. The God who chose a ragtag bunch of slaves to be people who live strangely in this world, whose life will point to a gorgeous possibility of life for all. Now, biblically speaking, the whole point of Israel is to be a light to the nations, a kind of homing beacon to draw every blessed thing into the promise and hope of God. And we know that they didn't always live into that vocation. I think it's one of the marvelous things about Scripture is that honesty. And we see the consequences of it in Isaiah. You know, the voice crying in the wilderness goes hoarse, trying to get God's people to live as God's people. Again and again, they choose something else, until finally it can't continue. God's patience and mercy will not be mocked. As we heard last week, what began as a a perfect vineyard, with everything needed for beautiful wine, but which instead produced garbage grapes, it will all be dismantled, taken apart as if it was never there. But somehow that won't be the end. This is the God who's not satisfied to walk away. This is the God who is relentless in the pursuit of holiness, beauty, glorious wine for which all the earth is made. This is the God who refuses to be anything less than the God of hope. Isaiah knows that this is the one who can make beauty out of chaos. The prophet knows that the God whose word flows through him is the one who has time and time again done more than seemed possible, right? This is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who makes promises and keeps them. (laughs) This is uh, the God of manna in the desert and water from a rock. This is the God who will split the seas open to set his people free from destruction the God who sets slaves free for a new possibility, the sake of another way. So, you know, even as the prophet rants and raves about the people's failure to live in that freedom, the love and justice and righteousness that God has called them to, he's also relentless in reminding who the people who and how God is, that they are called by the one uh, who is determined to redeem and restore and to make this people holy and this world whole destruction will not be the end death will not get the last word sin will not last but god's mercy and god's grace god's fierce love for this world will have its way And we see that not just in Isaiah's words, but in the structure of the whole book. Scholars will tell us that there are actually three Isaiah's, which means possibly multiple writers, which was not a problem in the ancient world. It was not unusual for people to write uh, in the name and tradition of someone else as a sign of respect. But if there are different writers, we have Isaiah of Jerusalem in the first part of the book who pleads with the people to change their ways. Then we have Isaiah of the exile in Babylon who continues to bring God's word even when it seems like God is done with these people and their punishment will be total. And then we have Isaiah of the return in the last part of the book, a a, a fresh possibility. There's lots to be said. There are big books to be uh, read about the interesting textual things in the book of Isaiah. But for today, what I'm most interested in is that this passage that we heard is part of third Isaiah. (laughs) This is part of the last part. This is the word for the reset. And I think it's worth noting that even in the reset, all is not perfect. Right? There's a lot of ifs and thens in this passage. If this, then that, which tells us that things are not yet the way they're meant to be. But somehow I feel like the, the ifs take a back seat to the thens here. Right? The present reality is outshone by the promised one. So all is not perfect, but the people have returned from exile, and now they're trying to figure out what it means to really live in the light of God's promises, to grab hold of the hope for which they are made, that is theirs, to show the world something of what it'll look like when God gets what God wants, to have a glimpse of what God longs for all things. And this is what Isaiah says it'll look like. If you're at home and you have a Bible, you may want to follow along. If you're here, we don't have Bibles because they're on the chapel, but you can look it up on your phone if you want. Isaiah 58, 9 to 14. Here's what Isaiah says it'll look like. It says it'll be a community where yokes are removed. In other words, burdens, people are set free from the things that bind and control them, addictions and fears, pride and arrogance, greed and shame. It'll be a place where one person does not lord power over another, but we all arrive in mutuality, siblings of our divine parent. It'll be a community that ceases to point the finger. <laughs> I, I, I don't honestly know what that means. Uh, But I think it's kind of evocative, isn't it? Like, when do we resort to finger-pointing? When we're trying to deflect from our own guilt? Like, I may not be perfect, but thank God I'm not like those people over there. Or when we're trying to uh, shame others or show others the door? (laughs) When we're nitpicking and petty? I think that's when we point the finger, right? It'll be a community where all evil speech ceases speech that tears down instead of builds up gossip and slander and harsh words thoughtless and unkind words if god creates with a holy word then what is unholy what is evil speech is whatever destroys there'll be no more of that it'll be a place where the hungry are fed And not just from the leftover scraps. In the the translation that I usually use, it says, if you offer your food to the hungry, (laughs) like the good stuff, not just the stuff at the back of the pantry, but the good stuff, even stuff you'd rather not share. This will be a community of unexpected generosity, Isaiah says. It'll be a space where the needs of the afflicted are tended to, not a place where the powerful are placated, but a place where the desperate take priority where suffering is alleviated and wounds are bound up and chains are shattered and tears wipe away. Then we get a glimpse of the kingdom of God. That's what it means to be a light to the nations. Then your light shall rise in the darkness. Your gloom will be like the noonday. (laughs) Isn't that good? That's what it looks like to join God in the work of creating and redeeming, of forgiving and healing, bringing life where there was not life. And when we do these things, when we get in on what God is up to in and around us, the, the beauty is that we find ourselves decidedly more uh, gifted than giving. Right? We get more than we give. And getting can't be the motivation. You know, but the nature of grace is that we always get more than we had reason to expect. You know, I, I mean, on the one hand, if, if we just did these things, the world would be a better place. <laughs> the things Isaiah said, like, undeniably. Yeah, you know, there's a cartoon that pops up on my social media every once in a while, and it's—I'm uh, it, it, trying to remember exactly what it is. It li- it's like a climate change conference, and there's scientists and politicians, and, t- and someone in the audience is saying, "But what if it's a hoax? And we just make the air cleaner and the water cleaner, and the world more beautiful place?" <laughs> I mean, if we take a step back, even from some of the insanity that permeates some of the culture that we take for granted, I mean, so many of our political discussions. It's a very strange claim that we often hear made that we need to kind of balance the economy with the preservation of the world because we made up the economy. It's entirely arbitrary. It only works because we agree on it. But the world we kind of need. And so if we take one step back from the sorts of things that we take for granted, we find that even the, the sorts of things that Isaiah is talking about is just, just common sense things that would make life better for everyone. We know scientifically, neurologically, treating people well, creating, healing, freeing, is as good for anyone who benefits from it as it is, or is good for us, rather, as anyone who benefits from it. But the promise that Isaiah makes, the promise of God's word, is not just that we'll make things somewhat better than they are. The promise is that we'll find ourselves in the company of God the one who is the source and sustainer of all life that is truly life, the one who will guide us in the way of righteousness, the one who will satisfy our deepest thirsts, the God who makes streams in the desert and gardens in the wasteland. Our strength will be renewed, Isaiah says. We will be like a spring of water that never runs dry, ready to nourish the world around. We'll be caught up with the one who turns rubble into mansions, and desecrated places into holy grounds. You shall be called a repairer of the breach, or a repairer of walls that have been destroyed, the restorer of streets to live in. Sounds like a legacy worth getting after, doesn't it? shall be a repairer of walls, and restorer of streets to live in. Isaiah continues. This starts at verse 13, and maybe most beautifully, insisting that, in the company of this God, the Sabbath is honored, And not begrudgingly, but the Sabbath is a delight. The Sabbath, this this total day of rest, is such an important biblical concept. It gets to the heart of who and how God is with us. It's the ultimate reminder that we are objects of God's grace. Pastor uh, Rich Viotis, who preaches in Queens, New York, says this, he says, Sabbath is one of the clearest signs of the gospel of grace. You intentionally accomplished nothing, and God still loves you. (laughs) This is such good news. You intentionally accomplished nothing, and God still loves you. And there are two reasons given in Scripture why the Sabbath matters, why God's people are to take a Sabbath. The first one is that God did it, (laughs) right? In Genesis, we hear that God worked for six days, creating, making the heavens and earth and everything in them, and then God rested on the seventh day. Now the first creation story in the Bible, there are two, one in chapter 1 and one in chapter 2, it it echoes other ancient um, stories, myths about God's building their own temples, which apparently for whatever reason was a six-day process, (laughs) and on the seventh day the God would enter the temple, would be present in the temple, in their new home. And the structure of Israel's story is is a way of insisting that all of creation is God's temple it was almost certainly written down after the temple in jerusalem was destroyed and it reminded god's people that god did not need a special place to be close but that god is over and in and with all things that the earth is the lord's and everything in it as the psalmist says and in the genesis story we know that god looks around at all that god has made and he sighs the sigh of contentment it's good and very good Right? And God enters and rests in it. God's sabbaths, which is more than a day off, right? It's an intentional reorientation to God, to God's delight, to God's creativity, to the pure grace of all that is. There doesn't have to be anything, and yet there is, and we didn't have anything to do with making it that way. A sabbath is a reminder that, in fact, everything is not dependent upon us, that we are not made just for constant work, but we're also made for God's good gifts, pay attention to the extravagance of God's grace the beauty of God's love so reason one to Sabbath is that God did it reason two is that we are not slaves only slaves work seven days a week without rest the Sabbath is Sabbath is Israel's reminder that God has set them free once they were slaves in Egypt now they are free Pharaoh is not their God Yahweh is and this is the God of freedom, the God of life. Then you shall delight in the Lord, Isaiah says. You know, when we stop and pay attention to God, delight is our response. The great writer, writer Frederick Beekner died last Monday. If you don't know Frederick Beekner, uh, you should. <laughs> um, he's a marvelous thinker and writer, uh, often challenging and often inspiring. But Because he died, it means that quotes of his are popping up everywhere uh, on my computer, um, which is great. (laughs) But this particular word from Isaiah reminds me of this quote from Frederick Buechner. He says this, the final secret, I think, is this, that the words you shall love the Lord your God become less a command than a promise. The final secret, I think, is this, that the words you shall love the Lord your God become less a command than a promise we are made for the heart of or for the love at the heart of the universe we're made to receive it to return it to share it with the world around sabbath reminds us of that like nothing else and a big challenge i have to say for the church is that sabbath in our culture has become a privilege right the working poor often can't afford a sabbath now, for instance, a single parent working multiple jobs cannot be made to feel guilty for doing what they need to do to provide for their family. But Isaiah would suggest that God's people are guilty if they prop up a system that denies others rest and delight for which they are made. And the Sabbath is not just about getting what's ours or the time off we deserve. It's about seeking God's justice, honoring God's image in every person, And there are lots of opinions about whether or not, and if so, how Christians ought to observe the Sabbath. But as people grafted into God's people, not through the law which commands the Sabbath, but by the grace of Christ, the one through whom we know that God will get what God wants, whose life, death, resurrection, and reign are the sure and certain promise that what Isaiah is on about is actually true, as people caught up in that truth, I think the heart of Sabbath should beat strong among us. And if we're truly joining God in what God is doing, we will claim our own freedom and create the conditions of freedom for others. If we are truly gonna join in on God's determination to make all things new, we need time spent delighting in God's grace, delighting in the world around and the people and the places that make up all the details of these wild and precious lives of ours. If we'll be what what God is about, we'll teach our children, we'll remind our neighbors that they are not cogs in some machine upon which the world depends, but they are children of God, made in God's image, made for God's goodness, objects of God's delight. See what love we have been given, St. John says, that we should be called the children of God, for that is what we are. Isaiah says that that's, that's what the reset, the new world that God is making even now will look like. To me, I don't know about to you, but September always feels like a reset, <laughs> like another chance. <laughs> Uh, you know this year I'll do all my homework Um, you know but it always feels like a transition time even whether you are going to school I don't know Um, in any case I want to challenge us at the beginning of as we begin rather the transition kind of out of summer and into the new season to let this passage have its way with our imaginations both as individuals and as a community you know, in this coming season, how can we be, wherever we are in all that we do, repairers of the walls that have been destroyed, restorers of streets to live in? How can we be more and more people who refuse to settle for the ease and convenience of the way that things are? And they are easy. I often use a uh, quote, G.K. Chester, who says, you know, the, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting, it's been found difficult and left untried. How can we not settle for the ease and convenience of the way things are and instead lean into, more and more, into the delight and the wonder and the love for which we are made? And every bit as importantly, how can we share that in all that we do? Like, Where is God calling you or us to turn from one way for the sake of another? Where is God inviting you to lean in And drink deeply. Let your deepest thirsts be satisfied. May God give us grace and guts. Amen.